We are Anthem Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. For all the info you need, visit anthemforall.org and follow at Anthem Church Chicago. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Psalm chapter 16. And let us begin. So when I say confidence in God, what does that mean to you? Perhaps you've walked with God for a long time, many, many years, and confidence, you understand that term, faith and confidence in God, and perhaps you might look back on your life and you might say, there were times in my past with God where I've maybe felt a bit more confidence in Him, where maybe there were times when I look back to that part of my journey with God and I was roaring and passionate and I was just cruising and flying with God. And you look back and you look now and you think, well, it's not the same as it was. And you wish it was even better than it was. And you say, well, maybe my confidence isn't too much in God at the moment. Maybe life happened. Maybe something happened and I've lost confidence. Or maybe you're here for the first or second time or you're very new in your journey with God and you're here and you may be just looking in and you say, confidence in God? I'm still working out my view on God, but what does confidence mean? The best way I can describe it is, is a sporting analogy, and I may have used it a few weeks back, but it really, it really helps understand what confidence in God is like. We, we all know the GOAT, right? The greatest of all time player. We've all had those, those players, and all through history, you get that sports star, like they're freaks of nature. They're so good. The world declares them to be GOATs. They declare themselves to be GOATs, and it's incredible, the greatest of all time. But what happens to any sportsman in, in, in their journey, you, they're, on paper they've got what it takes, they, they've got all the awards, they're the best, and then suddenly maybe they get an injury, something happens in life, uh, in, in their game, they lose a game when they shouldn't have lost a game, and suddenly they lose confidence. And they're not playing like they used to. On paper they know what to do, but they're not able to, to execute. It's like they lack the vision. And uh, the vision to win. And they're like these phantom superstars, like shadows of their former glory. And then I started thinking, how many of us are like that when we think of our walk with God, where we know the verses, we know what to do in life, but we just can't execute. It's like, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. What a beautiful life verse. And we know it, but somehow it slipped from our hearts into our heads, and it's not something we're walking out. We can believe it for other people, but... Every day we wake up and we're maybe expecting the worst to happen because we're not convinced that God has a plan to prosper us and not to harm us, to give us a hope and a future. What's happened? Perhaps we've lost confidence. Life has come. Something's happened and we've lost sight of our God who has saved us and we've lost confidence. And maybe we're hating the game, which is life, and maybe turning and looking at the coach saying, hey, what are you doing who could represent God? I know it's a bad analogy. It's it's not a complete analogy. It's, It's not biblical, but... But we're not enjoying life, and, and perhaps it's just because we've lost confidence in God. I love Psalms chapter 16 because it's a psalm all about confidence in God. And I really think there's some cool things and helpful things that we can take away from the psalm to encourage us. So let's turn to Psalm 16, and we're probably only going to deal with maybe four verses of it, but I'd love to read the whole thing just because it is so powerful. Let's read. It says, Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after the other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. 
The boundary lands have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me, even at night my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. It's beautiful. There's two parts to this psalm, parts one and two. Verses one to seven is part one. There's two parts, part one and two. No hidden third part. And uh, that deals with David's faith declaration and of confidence in God. And that's where we're going to camp today. And then verses uh, 8 to 11 deal with the blessing of God, the faithfulness of God over his life. So let's look at part one. What does this faith in God look like? What does it look like to believe God with confidence? And how can I put my faith and confidence in God? Well, after reading through those first seven verses, I realized that there were five things that help us in terms of building our confidence in God, or could almost be like a checklist of, is my confidence in God? Let me look at these five things that David reveals, and we can see how we're doing. But the moment I say checklist, I'm like, I'm a real doer. I love ticking to-dos off. I just love doing. And while I was preparing this, I was like, yeah, these are five things. If I did more of these five things, my confidence would be more in God. I'd be soaring more in life. And I felt God say, these are not five things that we need to check off and keep doing. These are five things that actually we get to be. And in a world that is frantic and so busy, I feel God saying that we don't need to be doing more. We need to be being more. So when we look at these five things... Resist the urge to be like, okay, let me schedule it out this week and let me put all, do what I need to do so I can tick these things off. And actually, let's look at it through the lens and say, how can these inspire me to be more with my God? And the first one is this. He starts it off with a prayer. Well, the psalm is a prayer and he says, preserve me, O God, or keep me safe. And the first point we take away that's going to help us build our confidence in God or help us understand what it means to live a life of confidence in God is that of a prayer life. Now, the moment you say prayer life in church, immediately, if you're anything like me, you start feeling guilty and you're like, oh man, I really need to pray more. (laughs) That's just me. Maybe that's not you. But to be honest, I'm going to be really vulnerable. I've had the privilege of knowing God for a really, really long time, but I've yet to have that week where I get to the end of the week. I'm like, whoa. Got to cut down on the prayer. Ease up on the prayer, buddy. Too much prayer and fasting. Whoa. Maybe you've had that week. But almost like I look at my prayer life and I I just want to pray more. But what is prayer? Well, see, prayer reveals where your faith and confidence lies. Why? Because when I'm praying and I'm coming to God, I'm not putting strength and trust in myself. My prayer life determines and reveals that I'm coming to one who is greater, one who is able to help me, and and one who I have to look to for help. And that's what prayer is. Maybe when you think of prayer, it's like I've got this list of requests that I bring to God, and those are prayers. But prayer is walking with God. Prayer is silence before God. Prayer is communion with God. Prayer is me talking to God and then me being silent and listening to God. Me soaking in his presence, just waiting on him. That's what prayer is, and prayer reveals a walk with God, an intimacy with God. Remember, it's not about doing more. Let's not wake up earlier and just get through our list. Let's be more with our Savior. That's what prayer is. A prayer life reveals where our faith and confidence lies. 
But not only does our prayer life reveal what, or where our faith and confidence lies, but what we pray and how we pray. Now, this is, for me, the most challenging aspect of this psalm. Think of a time when you were in need, and uh, if you brought that need to the Lord in prayer, think about how you brought it to the Lord in prayer. For me, when I have a need, the Lord knows about it. Why? Because I remind him. When I wake up, it's there. When I'm walking with him during the day, I'm reminding him, Lord, you, I know you know. I know you know, but I'm just letting you know. This is what I'm going through, and Lord, it would be amazing if you could answer this prayer. We come with our needs. But here David is, and, and he says this. He says, preserve me, O God. He's saying, save me, God. And knowing by, by looking through the Bible, we read about David and read about the encounters that he had, encounters with lions, encounters with bears, encounters with Saul, who was king, who wanted to kill him, encounters on the battlefield with Goliath, the giants who also wanted to kill him. David really had times in his life where his life was on the line. It wasn't like I've had a bad day. He was really like, preserve me, O God, probably because he was thinking, if you don't preserve me, God, I'm not going to make it. He has a need. He's in a desperate situation. He reaches out to God and he says, preserve me. And then for the rest of the 10 and a half verses, his prayer is half a verse. And then for 10 and a half other verses, he begins to praise God, declare who God is, uh, just boast about what God has done for him. And it's like, this psalm is a prayer. But in his prayer, he's talking more about who God is and praising and declaring than about his situation. We don't know what he was going through other than he needed saving. And I'm like, wow, that's a challenge. I I won't lie. I'm not going to stand up and say, I've got that right with my walk with God (laughs) when it comes to my prayer life. The power of praise that when we begin to praise God and declare who he is, he reveals all the things he's done for us, and we remind ourselves what he's done for us in our past, and we remember that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And this is the gospel, friends, is that we have a God who wants to talk to us. We have a God who wants to be with us. We have a God who wants to commune with us, and we have a God who wants us to come to him with what we're going through. It's not like some cosmic dictator far out there who wants nothing to do with us. He's right here, right now. A God who wants intimate communion and a God who wants to help us. I've got a few application questions for each point just to help us this week, just help us with our being, not our doing. But a question is, how's my prayer life at the moment? The great thing about God, he always says, from strength to strength and glory to glory. This week, God wants our prayer life to increase. Why? Because he wants intimacy with us. What do I feel God challenging me to adjust this week? First thing is that my prayer life reveals my confidence. The second thing, David says this, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. The second thing, if we want to grow in confidence in God, is that we have to have him as our refuge. What is a refuge? A refuge is a place that you run to for saving. A a place you run to when you're in need. Your refuge is that place you go to hide. And there's many places we can run in this world of distractions to hide. Our options are unlimited. We can run to food, we can run to work, we can run to seeking pleasure, we can run to substances, we can run to people, we can run to all sorts of things. To be honest, I love series, watching series. Now, there's nothing wrong with watching series. Perhaps the way I watch series, maybe there's a problem, but I don't like watching one a week. Like, I can't do that. I'd rather wait until like a whole three seasons are out, and then I love to binge watch. Like, just put it on and just disappear and become part of the characters like The Walking Dead. Any Walking Dead fans out there, it's just, wow, there's been 10 seasons. I don't know how much time I've wasted on my life watching that, but it's incredible. 
but it's like, I don't know if you've been there, but it's like three in the morning, you've watched four episodes in a row, and you've just got one, you kind of, you kind of scrape your way over to the TV, and you press play for the next one, and it's like, you've got work the next morning, and you've got to keep it all together, and then the series ends, and you just want one more. Another thing I really, that really brings me comfort, and I'm just being really vulnerable this morning, is a peanut butter and honey sandwich. This is deep. We're going deep this morning. <laughs> Seriously, I can eat one for breakfast, for lunch, for, for, for dinner, and I can have it for dessert afterwards, and I haven't had enough. There's just something about the texture, something about that, that sugar that just makes me feel okay. I suppose in, 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 our, in our family, in our house, you can see how emotional I've been during that month, depending on how quickly the honey goes down. So, whoa, babes, you've got to um, ease up on the honey. David says, Lord, you are my refuge. And I'm having a bit of fun with those things. I'm not saying any of those things are wrong, but David says, Lord, you're my refuge. And he didn't only say that, he lived it. In the book of Samuel, we read that David is out and they're, they're battling some enemies and then they're coming, back out of, they're coming back in a place of victory only to find defeat. Some other enemy has come and stolen their wives, their children, their possessions. And the very people who were fighting with David, the Bible says they wanted to stone him. From victory to defeat. Ever, ever been like that, raging and roaring and raining and roaring through life, and then all of a sudden there's just defeat all around? It's like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. And it says this in 1 Samuel 30 verse 6. It says, but David found strength in the Lord his God. But David found strength in the Lord his God. What did that look like? I wonder if he ran, pushed past the guys with their stones and fell on his knees a little way out and said, God, I need you, and just waited on the Lord. Maybe he grabbed his harp and he began to sing and he calmed the guys down and they dropped their stones and they realized it was going to be okay. Maybe he downloaded his latest anthem sermon and just his favorite sermon from Steve and he just got the courage he needed to face the next day. I don't know what it looked like. I don't know what he did, but it says he found strength in the Lord his God. Your refuge is that place you go for saving. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying life. I'm not going to stop watching series. I love watching series. I'm not going to stop eating peanut butter and honey sandwiches. Maybe I'll eat a little less. But I'm not saying you can't do these things. We've got to do this and not do that. But actually what happens is this, is that there's two key problems with the places that we can potentially run. And the first thing is the, the things we run to can be things that we end up needing saving from. Anything you run to long enough will become a pattern in your life and a pattern that potentially you need saving from. And problem number two with these things is all these things that we can run to in this life, they're all temporary. And I suppose we've got to work out why we're running, if we're running, if we're just enjoying a good series, that's great. But if I'm constantly going there because I'm trying to escape reality and I'm trying to escape life, if I'm trying to escape a pain in my soul, something deep inside, perhaps I'm running to the wrong place and that will never satisfy See, because each and every one of us has this, this, this problem, it's, it's an eternal problem that only an eternal Savior can solve. And when we run to Him, He deals with the problem deep within us. All these other things are like Band-Aids stopping a bleeding artery, it's just not going to work. And we live unsatisfied lives, but when we run to God, we realize that he will never leave us and never let us down. I want to read Psalm 16, the first part. What does it mean to have God as your refuge? It says this in the Passion Translation or Interpretation. Keep me safe, Almighty God. I run for dear life to you, my safe place. My safe place. What is your safe place? On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. 
This is the gospel, friends. Through faith in Christ, we have an eternal refuge that we can run to at any time. We spoke this morning already. We heard this morning about access to God. This loving Father who wants to hold us close, who wants to rescue us and wants to be our refuge. It's not like we have to twist God's arm to say, save me, be my refuge. He's always there ready to save us, ready to reach down, ready to comfort us, ready to hold us. Will we run to him? When our faith and confidence is in God, we run to him in prayer, and we also run to him when we need hiding and we need a safe place. Here's an application question. How do you run to God? Perhaps you're here this morning and you're not really sure how you do it. Maybe ask God, how can I run to you this week? How can I develop a pattern of running to you? You know what I need to do sometimes is just go for a walk and pray. Sometimes what I need to do is just get out the guitar and sing my favorite song, even though I don't feel like singing it. Sometimes what I need to do is just get on my knees and just be silent and say, God, help. What does it mean for you? What areas of my life do I need to make Jesus my refuge? And I've got in brackets there, my first refuge. Perhaps there's some areas in our lives that God is challenging us and encouraging us to run to him first this week. Remember, these are things that we can be and we get to be, not things that we have to do. Let's move on. You can see, like I said, we're probably going to spend most of our times in verses 1, 2, 3, and then end on 7. This is, I really love this point. Verse 2, it says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Turn to your neighbor and say, that was deep. Deep. That was deep. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Whoa! That is, honestly, that is incredible this morning. And I'm getting some blank stares. And I'll tell you why this is incredible this morning. Because when I first read that, I was like, yeah, that's cool. But what does it mean? You'll notice that one of the lords is in capital and the other lord isn't. That is not a typing error. That is not a mistake in your Bible, or at least if you're reading an English Bible this morning. If we look at the Hebrew words that are being used, David is saying, I say to Yahweh, you are my Adonai. Oh, it just got a little deeper. I say to Yahweh, you are my Adonai. Well, let's look at those in a little bit more depth. What does Yahweh mean? Well, Yahweh was the proper name for Israel's God. It's always in capitals, Lord. It's a personal name, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His nation's God, his people and culture's God, his parents' God, built on the Hebrew word for I am as revealed to Moses. Moses, if maybe you're familiar with the story, Moses sees this bush on fire. It's called the burning bush experience. And God speaks to him out of it and says, go and rescue my people who are in slavery. And Moses is like, well, who should I say sent me? And he says, tell them, I am sent you. And that's where we first get introduced to this name of God, this personal name of God. God who always was without beginning and without end. The God who is absolute reality. The God who is totally self-existent. The God who everything created depends on existence and continued existence. The one who is constant and never changes. The God who is the most important and most valuable reality. He says, Yahweh. You are my Adonai. Adonai is a title for God, which means Lord, sovereign. Could I use the word boss, master or owner? God who is God, you are my Lord, my master and my boss. You are my sovereign. Here he celebrates God's sovereign rule over his life. We we can walk through this life and we can have an understanding of God out there. Maybe we were brought up in a Christian home, or maybe we've come to church a few times, and there's this idea of God, and if we think of who God should be, he fits the title of Yahweh. God, I mean, if he's God, he's got to be self-existent. He, he's got to be independent of everything else, and, and we have this understanding. 
But it's not enough to have this understanding if we want to have our confidence and faith in him. I love how personal David makes it. Yahweh, God of my people, God of my culture, God of my nation, God of my father, God of my history, you are my Lord. We can live with a knowledge of God out there, but there's a difference with having him as Lord. We can live with God as our savior, even our refuge that we run to when we need, but to have him as Lord Adonai, that's not always that easy. And to be honest, I'm going to throw this out there. This is something that I've learned from many mistakes in my own life. I realize that I actually need less saving from Jesus in this life when I live with him as Lord of my life. How many prayers over, over my life have been, God, get me out of here, and it was stuff that I got into because I wasn't living with him as Lord. That's just me. I'm not saying that's you this morning, but a challenging thought. This is the gospel. Through faith in Christ, we have a God who is not far away, but close. And the picture of Lord, we maybe think of absolute power corrupts absolutely. Maybe we've heard in our studies. And we look at all the examples of people in power over years and how they've brought pain and maybe a bit of good, but just pain and suffering and exploitation. And we think, well, how can I serve God as Lord if that's the example? Let's not look to history. Let's look to the word of God. Let's look to Jesus himself, who reveals that when he is Lord, it's the picture of being invited not to be a slave, but to be invited into a family as a son or as a daughter. When he speaks about Lord, he's a king who, who loves his subjects so much so that he came to die for his subjects on a cross. When they were rebelling against him, he chose to come and die and take the sin, their sin upon his shoulders. This is the king. This is the Lord we serve. When our confidence is in God, we run to him in prayer, and we run to him as our safe place, our hiding place, our refuge, and we can say, he, he is my Lord, like David said. Some application questions. One, actually, is there any area in my life where I need to say, Jesus, you are my Lord, or Jesus, be my Lord? Perhaps that's you this morning, and you've never put your faith in Christ yet. And this morning you're saying, actually, I need this God, this Yahweh who is God. I need to declare him as my Adonai. And I had the privilege of this last week while I was in California. I did a youth meeting with 28 young kids, and four of them put up their hand to say, Yahweh, you are my Adonai. Well, they didn't use those words, but they took a public declaration saying, Jesus, I'm yours. Be my Lord and be my Savior. It was incredible. Wow, getting tearful. Let's move on. The next part says this. Verse 2, it says, apart from you, I have no good thing, or I have no good apart from you. And he's using exaggeration here. He had many good things in his life, but when he compares them to God, he's like, all of this stuff, just you, God, are my everything. And what is he saying? He was saying that his confidence is in God, and that it displays itself in that God is his greatest treasure. God is his ultimate treasure. What is your ultimate treasure this morning? What are you seeking in life? What am I devoting my life to? I love his devotion and praise, declaring God to be everything. And uh, I'd like to touch on something I touched on a few weeks back, but I touched on it from the other side, from Psalm 23. And it's this, our earthly satisfaction follows our spiritual submission to God as sovereign. This is a biblical theme that repeats itself throughout Scripture. Our earthly satisfaction follows our spiritual submission to God as sovereign. What does that mean? When God is sovereign in our lives, we are satisfied. That's something to process. Actually, 
That means I can, excuse me, I can look at some areas in my life and uh, I can see where I'm not potentially satisfied and I get to ask the question, well, is, is God Lord in that area? What do I mean by that? Well, a few pages on, we turn to Psalm 23 and it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What is a shepherd compared to a sheep? It's the master, it's the leader, it's the boss of the sheep, it's the owner of the sheep. So when I'm a sheep, I say to my shepherd, the Lord, you are my shepherd, I shall not want. We live in a life filled with wants. But the soul that is submitted to God realizes that in him we have all that we need and could ever want. Is your life currently about all that you want and all that you need? You wake up in the morning and it's a constant drive for more. And I'm not talking about good things like a constant drive to see. I want to see more of God's kingdom established in the earth. Yes, I want more of that. I won't be satisfied until I see more. Maybe more justice, more, more, just more change in our city. Those are good things. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about the things that normally have us at the center. The things that I want this thing. I need this thing. If I don't have this, I cannot live. And perhaps if we're living that lifestyle, perhaps we need to realize that when the Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want, which means if we're constantly in want, perhaps the Lord is not our shepherd. It follows that same biblical theme that gets repeated. And this isn't a comfortable one. Honestly, I prefer not having this point in, but it was in the verse and I had to go there. I don't want to be the one saying, you're not going to be satisfied until your life is submitted to the Lord. But I've seen that in my own life. I am satisfied when I bow my knee before Jesus. If my life is constantly filled with wants, then perhaps the Lord is not my shepherd. It is the areas in my life where I'm not satisfied that I need to see the Lordship of Christ. I'm talking to myself here. It gets repeated in 1 Peter 1 verse 3. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. Right now, there is nothing I need right now in this moment that God has not already given me. That's in our generation, in our age, where all of marketing and all of advertising is, is in my understanding, it's not a professional understanding, is, is, is shown to, to show a need that I have and to expose a need so that I can go after a product. And it's very successful because we want all these things and we need all these things and, and the culture tells us that, but right now there is nothing I need in this moment that God has not already given me. That's a sobering thought for me because... I'm not standing here as one who is a part of the culture we all live in. I'm just a part of this culture and I subscribe to it just as much as all of us perhaps do. And it's a constant fight to renew my mind and say, actually, no, that thing, as much as I think I need it, perhaps perhaps I don't. See, when the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's not comfortable. I may not have everything I want, but I know I have everything I need for life and for godliness. That's to reign and rule through this very life and to also be godly at the same time. That kind of silences all the excuses I want to make inside and say, God, I need this before I can do this for you. He says, you've got everything you need. When our confidence is in God, we can truly live in that place, satisfied in what we have. That's countercultural and revolutionary, to live satisfied. The gospel empowers us to live differently. And this is the gospel, that through faith in Christ, we can live satisfied. We can live satisfied. The depths of our being satisfied, knowing that we wake up saying, God, I have everything I need. Like David to say, you are my ultimate treasure. If I've got you, that is all I need. I aspire to that, friends. I long to be able to say that of my life in every aspect of my life. God, you are my ultimate treasure every second of every day. And then if you read in verses five and six, I want to 
through those very briefly. It just shows how he views a satisfied life. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot secure. God wants to breathe security over us this morning. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I love that word inheritance. Inheritance speaks about legacy and speaks about what we get to leave behind and also what we get to enjoy and walk through in this life. When you look at your life, you say, I have a beautiful inheritance. Can you say that this morning? God wants us to live in that reality every day when we look at what he's given us, when we look at how we're walking through life. And that doesn't mean that it's hard to see sometimes when life is really difficult. This church that I was ministering into this last weekend, they've had two years of really, really intense attack from the enemy. Two years of really, really intense, difficult times. That's why it was such a joy to come alongside them this last weekend and just to strengthen and encourage and breathe wind into their sails. In those moments that we need it the most, David says because of his devotion, he is satisfied. Let's look at some application questions before we finish. How satisfied am I right now in life? That's a, that's a tough question that I maybe need a few moments to think of. My own. Like, How satisfied am I right now? And the next question, are there any areas in my life where I've allowed other things to become my greatest treasure? And I wouldn't be surprised, as I've seen in my own life, in those areas that I'm not satisfied, I've allowed other things to become my greatest treasure. And when I submit to his lordship and declare him to be my greatest treasure in those areas, I find that suddenly satisfaction fills my soul. Number five, and remember these are things we get to be, not things that we have to do. Is this, David says in verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. He is my counselor. How often do we make bad decisions? And maybe you hear this morning and you say, well, it feels like my life is a succession of bad decisions. Or maybe you're saying, actually, I feel like my life has been a succession of good decisions because I've had God as my counselor. Wherever we are at when it comes to our decisions, do we know that we can live lives of supernatural wisdom? Regardless of your education or lack of education, you can live a life of supernatural wisdom right here, right now, through faith in Christ Jesus. We have the wisdom and resources of heaven at our disposal if we would tap into it and say, God, I need your wisdom. James tells us, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him come to God and ask, and God will give it. And we can live these lives of supernatural wisdom, one, because God instructs and counsels us, and secondly, because we trust him, we obey and we follow what he says. I love how it says, even at night. Night, figuratively, those dark times where I can't see or understand. It says, even then, he counsels me. Night, literally, even as I'm about to sleep, he speaks to me. Going back to that of prayer, it's like God wants to talk to us so much. It's like he wants to be the first voice in our ears as we wake up and the last voice we hear as we close our eyes. And then someone said this to me recently, and I was like, wow, that's really true. We spend a third of our lives sleeping. And over the last little while, we've been speaking about God speaking to us in our dreams. God wants to speak to us in the night. Even as we dream, he wants to speak to us. The Bible is filled with accounts of God speaking to people in dreams. And even here in the congregation, we've been hearing so many stories of God speaking to us in our dreams. And with this, I'll land. When I run to God as my refuge and lay my life before him as my Lord and worship him as my greatest treasure, I will hear his voice and he will be my counselor. All of these things are things we get to be. 
We get to come into his presence because he's given us access. And this is the gospel. Through faith in Christ, I get the wisdom of heaven for my lack of understanding. The divine exchange, his beauty for my ashes, his righteousness for my sin, all because this loving king, this Lord of all creation, came and stepped down into the very creation that he fashioned and formed and took their sins and their shame upon the cross so that he could have relationship with us. Isn't that amazing? I wonder if we could bow our heads. When last did I wait on God for wisdom and counsel? What can I just in my life to truly say God is my counselor? There's five things, and honestly, my heart would break if we walked away with these five things saying, oh, let me check this off the list. These are five invitations from God for us to be more in his presence. And as we be more with him, we get to develop a prayer life. We get to find him as our refuge. We get to declare him as our Lord. We get to live with him as our ultimate treasure, and we get to live with him as our counselor. Right now, while all eyes are closed, I'd love to extend this opportunity. You may have heard me say, this is the gospel. This is the gospel about Jesus who died for your sins. And you realize that actually my faith is not in Christ this morning. I need to put my hand up and say, I want to put my faith in you, Jesus. I want to live for you. And if anyone here this morning has not done that, perhaps for the first time, I'd love to invite you to raise your hand so that I can pray with you. Is there anyone here this morning? I'll give it a few moments. Anyone here who would like to put their faith in Christ for the first time this morning? I want to extend that invitation now to anyone who feels that maybe they're far from God and this morning they're realizing, I need to come back to God. I need to declare him as Lord of every area of my life. If that's you, I'd love to pray with you. If that's you, if you could raise your hand just so I could know who I'm praying for. Is there anyone? Thank you. I see those hands. Once you put your hand up, you can put it down. You're not responding to me. It's just so that I can know who I'm praying for. You're responding to heaven. Anyone else before I just pray for us all? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for every person who's responded, for those who put up their hands. And maybe those who are responding in their hearts right now who maybe were afraid to put up their hands, thank you that you see our hearts and you, you acknowledge us this morning, Lord God, that the reason we do what we're doing is so that we can come and encounter your presence. And right now, I pray for all those who need to respond this morning, including myself, to encounter your presence. We welcome you here, God. Even though it's coming to the end of the meeting, we say, come and have your way in our lives. That we would say that we run to you in all things. You are our safe place. You are our Lord, our greatest treasure. The one we talk to, the one we run to, the one we listen to. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thanks, man. Thanks again for listening. To stay up to date, follow at Anthem Church Chicago and visit us, anthemforall.org. Anthem Church. All of Jesus for everyone.